Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and the light of truth that it is. We thank you um, that we are not in this world on our own. You have saved us by your grace, and you are equipping us and training us, and you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. As we go into the word tonight, I ask that you speak through Pastor Chris, that you open up the word and our understanding through him. Please give us ears to hear the truth and hearts and minds that receive it so that we will be doers of your word and not hearers only. God, whatever you would have for us to learn of you and learn of our spiritual battle as we are in this life, um, make us ready for that battle tonight, Lord. We know that it doesn't end when we have a good word on Sunday, but we go Monday through Saturday and we have to live this out. We have to walk this out by faith in your Son, and by faith in your Holy Spirit. So be with us, God, and allow us to trust you uh, for this battle that is ahead of us. We thank you that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but the spiritual battle has already been won by Christ, and we are just walking this thing out day by day in you. We love you, and we thank you. Amen. All right, we are nearing the end of the letter to the church at Ephesus, and then being passed along to all the churches in Asia Minor. If you have been traveling with us through the book, then you know that we have been on a a long journey, a gospel journey. Chapters 1 and 2, we found out that before the foundation of the world, we were chosen to be holy and blameless in the sight of God through Jesus. We found out in chapter 2 that we were dead in trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are the disobedient. We all lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our sinful nature. Chapter 3, we found out that God is up to something. He's taking Jew and Gentile, or we could say all ethnicities, all nations, and he's creating one new people, the church, spread all over the globe. Every tribe, every nation, every language, praising God, living for him. A new people out of all the peoples. And we find out in chapter 4 that now we should live a certain way that uh, results from us being Christians. We don't live a certain way to become Christians, but now we live a certain way differently, radically differently, because we are already Christians. And Chapter 5, we learn how marriage should work. We learn how parenting should work. We learn how work should work. We learn about God's authority structures. And last week, um, Vince did a great job. Peace out, brother. Love you. Last week, Vince did a great job showing how the work of God in our place, the work of Christ, saves us. And now we are to work for His glory, knowing that we will ultimately receive a paycheck from God for how we work. And it gives our work purpose. It gives our work meaning. Our, uh, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we should do unto God's glory. Uh, very meaningful message. And now Paul moves on to 
spiritual warfare. Okay? Spiritual warfare. So now we're going to talk about Satan and demons and our struggle with them that is very real. It's a real thing. We do live in a spirit-filled world, a spirit-filled world. Not only do you have a spirit, some call it a soul, but the world and the universe is populated by people without bodies. By people, I mean beings with emotion, intellect, wills, able to affect real happenings in the world. People without bodies, supernatural beings beyond nature. And it is our fascination with evil in our culture that I think says something about our belief, even if it's not subconscious, in this world. Uh, there are a massive amount of television, you know, made-for-TV series on Amazon and Netflix. There's movies that come out one after another, week after week, horror films and the, and the, the evil possession of people. And we believe, even if we say we don't believe, that there is real evil in the world. But the Bible says that there's not just real evil in the world, there is personal evil in the world. Like spirits without bodies that have names, that make choices, that one day the church will engage in judging, Paul tells us, that we will judge angels, demons, for their schemes, methods against us. We do have a fascination, a fascination in the arts, in the spirit realm. And sadly, some in the church can have an over-fascination with the spirit realm. And what I mean by that is we overemphasize the work of the demonic, Satan's activity in our lives. Anything bad that happens, it was Satan. You know, Satan's always out to get me. It's this great conspiracy. And we, we overemphasize, we highlight, we raise him up beyond where he should be. But then, you know, this is more the flavor of the intellectual, the, the, the kind of naturalistic, materialistic, cultural stream we find ourselves in. It's a de-emphasizing of Satan and demons. We, we're not even sure if that's real, you know, and some, some of the commentators would want to explain it away, even that, you know, Satan's not a real person. It's, it's naturalistic, really, in its explanation. But we as Christians should be biblical, biblical. We should not underemphasize. We should not overemphasize. And we have now insight into the spirit realm and how we are to live as Christians according to what is happening invisibly. Now, this, this text here is our text. It's just going to be an overview. And then as we get into the following weeks, we will dig more deeply. So expect an overview tonight. Don't expect a lot of digging specifically into sins and temptations, but this will be more of an overview. Now, let's look at this first word, finally, finally. We could tell that there's a wrapping up here of the letter. And here's what you need to think about this word, finally. We've gone through salvation from eternity past to how we're now to parent our children and how we're to treat our husbands and wives and how we're to work. And we need to know now that from eternity past to our daily living, we're living this out in the middle of a war. 
Okay, so finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is saying, finally, you need to know that all the instruction I've given you, you are to do all this in the middle of an invisible spiritual battle, and you have experienced the casualties. You have experienced them. And we have experienced the dark side, every one of us. Not just as Christians, but prior to being Christians. In fact, this is what uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. We'll look at it in a moment. But we all lived among them at one time. Those who were of our father, the devil, our spiritual father. They were at work against us. Now, one of my new favorite songs is by a, a group called Citizens and Saints. How many of you have heard of them? Yeah, you like them? They're good. They have a, a new song called Faith newer. Uh, I, I love this lyric. I'm putting faith in someone I can't see. Faith means trust. And we always say it here at Eternal City. Faith is neutral, but its object is crucial. Faith has to land somewhere. It can't just be ambiguous. It's not a force. It's not a power. It, it's a trust, and the trust has to attach to something. I'm putting faith in someone I can't see. The God invisible has shown me grace beyond belief. I'm putting confidence in things unseen with full assurance that to lose my life is not defeat. Faith is true sight. See with new eyes. Taste of his life. Faith is true sight. And what, what this artist is getting at here is when you have faith, especially in the Word of God, you can see invisible realities. We put our faith in Jesus Christ, whom we've never seen, we've never met, but maybe we felt His presence by His Spirit. We put faith that there are real forces invisibly against us who are at work in the world and personally in our lives, not because we've seen them, but rather because we've experienced it, we felt it, but most importantly, the Bible says this is the case. This is true. Now, I want to look at the strength here. Finally, be strong. So the call here is you, Christian, be strong. Strength is what we're being called to here, not weakness. But paradoxically, the same writer said about himself, when I am weak, then I am strong. And what's fascinating is if you think you're strong in and of yourself, you're actually really weak. But if you see yourself as you truly are in comparison to God, you are weak beyond your wildest imagination. One thing pastoring a church has done for me in the past four and a half years is shown me how weak I am. I am weak beyond what I imagined. I have no power to change any of you. I could give you the tightest sermon, the deepest doctrine, the, the most ferocious exhortations, the most condemning illustrations, and it will do nothing. Nothing. I could sit for hours with you and counsel my lungs out, and it will do nothing. Unless, unless God decides to light my words on fire. And, and that's how I need to be praying. Friends, if you're going to do any discipleship, you better not be relying on your own strength, on your own power, on your own abilities. And for us who are the intellectuals of Christianity, we better not be relying on our knowledge or our study 
or our Bible software, Bible study software, Logos, of course. Better not be relying on that stuff. Because if you are, you are weak and you are already defeated. One of the main schemes of the devil is to get Christians to trust in themselves. You are weak. And if you are trusting in yourself, he has won. Abandon yourself. Run away from yourself. Realize you are weak. And then, friends, then you will be strong. And what's beautiful about that is how many of you have have been catching a beat down recently? It's okay. Come on. Yeah, look at that. See, God is actually strengthening you guys. Because you need to feel your weakness. You kind of need to crumble and buckle. And then, and then you'll realize, oh, wow, there is a strength underneath me, over top of me, on the side of me, behind me, holding me up, picking me up, thrusting me forward, maybe even just getting me out of bed because I can't do it by myself. And friends, the call here is be strong where? In the Lord. And, and how? In the strength of his might. He is strong for you so you can be weak. Now, this is, this is encouraging, friends. This is encouraging. Now, I, I, there's so many passages we could go to look at for the strength of God. But one is, is, is one of my favorites here. This is Job 38. I encourage you to read Job 38 all the way to the end of the book and just be blown away. If you've never done that, you need to do that. Seriously, you need to do that. It's a great exercise to see who our God is. But let's, let's look at this, just 1 to 11, very quickly, and then we'll look at three more verses from Job. Now, Job has been uh, uh, wrecked by Satan himself. You know, God has allowed Satan to destroy Job, destroy his family, destroy his property, wreak havoc on him, make his body break out in boils, even so that he can't even sit down without sitting on a boil. And his wife has even come to him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Just get it over with. Life is not worth living. And then his buddies show up, three friends, and and they begin to condemn him for being wicked, and this is why God has done all this to you. Meanwhile, we know from the outside looking in that Satan's behind the whole thing. Yet, not without God giving permission. And God shows up in chapter 38. And he gives some insight into who he is and who Job is. And I love this. You ready? Who is this that darkens? These are the words of God. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. All right, Job, you've been questioning me. Your turn. (laughs) And you make it known to me. That would be the answers. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, some of you were builders in here, so this is going to be building architecture type language. God is constructing the earth, the world. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That verse 7 there is a reference to angels. Uh, and, And I think prior to the fall of Satan and demons, that's a reference to when God was creating the world and the universe, all the stars, all of the angels of God were singing. And just another reference there. Um, When God saw all that he had made 
at the end of his creation, he said, it is what? Very good. Which I think has to imply no fall of Satan and demons yet. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, this is the, the ocean, and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. In other words, God was like, all right, we're going to have future resorts right here because this is the, the line in the sand that you will not cross unless I allow you know, a tsunami through every now and then for my good purposes. Okay? This is God saying, where were you? Let me know. Just a little further down, verse 16. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Like, where does all the water come from in the ocean? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? I love that. Job, have you walked on the bottom of the ocean in the depths of the deep where there's no light, where we can't even make it because the pressure's so great it would crush anything that got down there? Job, I've been walking down there. I could tell you what's down there. And Job's like, no, I can't even hold my breath for a minute to go down and get a pearl. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Hey, Job, there is such a thing as the realm of the dead. And there's gates that keep people in. And I have the keys. And I've been there. And I've created it. And I've walked among the dead. In fact, Jesus himself now has the keys to death and Hades. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth, its fullness, all the continents, the depths of the ocean, its massive complexity and its minerals and what all they can do? Declare it if you know all this. Declare it if you know all And he just goes on like this for chapter after chapter after chapter that we don't have time for. But what I wanted to show you was this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How strong is God to create what he's created? You know, and then the book of Job goes on to explain the animal kingdom and how complex the different animals and species are. And he, and he begins to talk about what can only be described as dragons, breathing sparks and smoke coming out of the nostrils. And, and it's fascinating. And God is saying, you have no strength compared to me, Job. You have no understanding compared to me. In fact, when you talk, you darken counsel. You have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about reality. And see, for, for us, it's such a temptation because we've read a lot of books, we've heard a lot of podcasts, we've listened to a lot of teachings, and we think that we know, don't we? We know. And God's like, you don't know nothing. <laughs> you be strong in my strength, not your own. You know what pride does? Pride inevitably, inevitably produces self-sufficiency. I got this. And you're strong in your strength. Friends, pride is what C.S. Lewis called the, the, um, the worst of all sins. The worst of all sins. 
Worse than, well, I'm not going to name an array of sins here. It's, it's not good because it, it, it causes all kinds of other sins. It, it enables the birth of many other sins. All right, let's look quickly at Ephesians 2 here. So we're to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Why? Well, Ephesians 2 tells us that we, we once walked following the course of the world. We could think of that as a stream. The world is headed in a current and it's going in a direction and everybody seems to be going in that direction. And you once were in the stream, just following the course of the world. But when you were following the course of the world, who were you following? The prince of the power of the air. Who's that? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Well, who's that? Every single person, including you at one time. Look, among whom we all, all once lived. How did we live for Satan? In the passions of our flesh. What you want, the lust of your flesh, your body has cravings, the lust of your eyes, what your eyes see and want, and the pride of life, what you can boast in having or being able to do. This is the course of the world, and we were all there. We were all there. And when we lived in that stream, we were living for Satan, whether consciously or unconsciously, most of us unconsciously, carrying out the desires of the body. Just, just living life, that's all. But us just living life in this world is following the prince of the power of the air because he set up the way it is. Like many of us, it's just, just the way it is. Well, the way it is, is Satan's way. And to go against the current has its own suffering to it, its own challenges, its own warfare, does it not? Every day is a struggle. It really is. Every day. So, let's go further. The strength of the might of God is how we're supposed to be strengthened. And this is Jesus here. I wanted to show you this verse. When Jesus came to earth, he encountered a wide variety of demonic activity. And we can only understand that is because Jesus was not just a man, but he was himself God and the creator, the one sustaining the very demons that when he came in contact with, they freaked out. Now in this context, Matthew 8 here, there's a a man or two men in Matthew that are loaded with demons. I mean, thousands and thousands of demons. How do you know that? Well, because there's the the name is Legion and a Legion was up to 6,000 Roman soldiers. And then in addition, when the demons came out of the two men, they went and 2,000 pigs rushed out into the the sea and drowned. And what's fascinating is when they see Jesus, they come up to him, and here's what they say. What have you to do with us? What are you going to do to us? Son of God. They knew who he is. They know who he is. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, what does that say? That says a lot. That means that there are demons who are already being tormented before the time. I'm going to show you that in a second. And these particular demons know those particular demons that are already being tormented before the time, and they don't want to join them. 
and they understand the authority of Jesus to say, you too. They understand. And here they're begging for mercy. That's what they're doing. Now, these are the very demons, maybe not those specific ones that were inside the two men, but these are the very, this is the very demonic realm that we're up against. But look who is in us. And we're told by Jesus himself that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, meaning Satan himself and demons. So we must remember, friends, as Christians, though we are in a real battle and though they are super intelligent and supernatural, the one who is in us is so much greater than the one who is against us. Now, here's one one little passage in, in Jude that gives us a glimpse into this. And the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he, God, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Have you come to torment us before the time? What's the time? It's the great day. What's the great day? The great day of judgment. Now, we can talk about this later, but I think this is a reference to Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of God left their proper dwelling and cohabitated with women and created a race of what is called Nephilim. Now, I know I might be an outlier in my theology there. We could talk about it another time, but there are credible theologians that believe this. I'm not the only one, okay? That's what I think this is a reference to. I think Peter references the same exact thing. But the point is, Jude is showing us here that God has authority over demons, over the demonic realm, and he can lock them up in what we would call hell, or chains of gloomy darkness, and they're kept there, and they can do nothing to escape, because he has the keys that are keeping them chained. Do you understand that? Now, friends, we need to understand that this is the realm that Paul is talking about. Okay? And I don't know where you are tonight. Some of you are overemphasizing. Some of you are underemphasizing. What you need to know is the Bible speaks clearly about this reality and this realm and its activity in your life. You are engaged regularly in this realm. Let's move forward. Verse 11, so we're to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. How are we to do this? We are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We are to do this so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Next week, we'll get into the armor of God. So we're going to skip that because we have a whole list of armor. Okay, we'll get there next week. But for now, what you need to know is the way we fight is with spiritual weaponry and we are fighting against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes in the Greek is methodias. What does that sound like? Methodias. Methods. What that word means is strategies, plans. How many of you for your job have to do strategic planning? A couple of you. Listen, this is satanic strategic planning. Boardrooms, whiteboards, Excel, 
numbers, <laughs> strategies. This is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's what didn't work in the past. We could see like the spider web thing with pictures and people and connections and events. And that's what's happening here. And it's all invisible to us. I, I imagine this world often. So I, I believe that demons are all over the place all the time. They could be in here right now. And the way they interact with us, because they're invisible, we probably walk right past them and brush their spirit bodies all the time. And the reason they're not too concerned is because you're not like, you know, you're not backing up from them because they're invisible. So they just stand there and look at you and watch you and speak to you and whisper to you. And, and you have no clue they're there. And they know you have no clue they're there because if you did, you'd probably start screaming. And this is happening all the time, all the time. And I know for some of you, you're like, all right, man, we're, we're making our way into the Marvel universe right now. No, no, we're not. We're not. This is Ephesians chapter six. Okay. And that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the methods, the strategic plans of the enemy. Now, look, here's, here's the picture here. You're in a fight, you're in a battle, and as the battle's raging, you're able to stand your ground. Stand. You're able to stand in the fight. If you get knocked down, you get back up, and you're still standing. Some of you guys like boxing. Some of you guys like MMA fighting. Some of you guys, uh, the jujitsu guys. And, and what's happening here is you get back up and stand and fight. How? With spiritual weaponry and in the strength of his might. That's what's being said here. Now, in the, in the weeks to come, we will get into the specific methods and strategies because the Bible doesn't hide those from us. The Bible reveals some of the, the strategies and plans. Paul says we're not ignorant of his schemes. Ignorant means you don't understand. You don't know. I'm very ignorant of complex math. Like seven times 72. I couldn't, I couldn't do it right now. <laughs> Matt's like, wow, wow bro. <laughs> that was a joke. All right. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, this is important. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is showing you something that if you're not careful, you'll just breeze right by it. When you fight and the fight breaks into hand-to-hand -hand combat, rolling around on the ground, wrestling, what does that say? That says this is very personal. This is the picture of a demon or demons have their hands on you and you've got your hands on them. They might have you in a lock. They might have your arm back. They might have your neck twisted. This is very personal. This is hand-to-hand -hand warfare here. That's, that's what's being said. And you need to know that, listen, you, you are in this war. And, and this fascinates me. Here's why. The tools of darkness are so much greater than the tools that we've come up with. Well, what do I mean by that? Like, I, I appreciate psychology. I think it's a common grace gift of God. I appreciate personality tests. I think they're a common grace gift of God. I appreciate strength finder tests. I think they're a common grace gift of God. What kind of tools and tests does Satan have? in addition to our human ones. 
Now imagine, let's say, you know, your, your favorite psychologist, he's been studying, she's been studying for 20, 30 years. They've written several books. Listen, Satan and his demons have been studying us since Adam and Eve. You think they don't know you inside and out? You don't think they've used all of the best tools that we have available to us, and then they have a thousand more at their disposal to know exactly how to tempt you, taunt you, discourage you, flatten you, get you against other people, to get you thinking the wrong things. To get you imagining that your struggle, your wrestle, your problems are actually against flesh and blood. Look, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What does that mean? That means we always think about our conflicts in a human way. All my fights have to do with my spouse, my kids, my boss, my fellow church members, my small group members, my mother-in-law. It's all flesh and blood. And Paul's like, you're foolish if you think all the conflict is about flesh and blood. Can you read it? We do not wrestle personal fighting, close quarters combat with flesh and blood. Rather, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Present darkness meaning this evil age. This was 2,000 years ago. We're still in this present darkness. Turn on the news. Look through your social media feed. We are in the darkness, and there is something underneath the darkness stirring the pot, kicking the hornet's nest. And for some of us, our problem is we just turned a blind eye or we're not thinking clearly. All of our struggle is you. You're the problem. If you would just change, if you would just shut your mouth, if you would just stop treating me that way, or if you would start doing all these things. Friends, you need to know that there is, in addition to the flesh and blood, a spiritual battle going on. That's what you need to know. And, 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 and we could go bigger, and we will go bigger. The conflicts of the nations are demonically inspired. The ideologies that cause mass death by the millions are demonically inspired. We see Satan possessing kings in the Old Testament. You don't think it's happening now? Like when Hitler spoke from his pulpit, he spoke with with a different kind of voice, and he spoke with a different kind of authority than when he was having normal conversations. Friends, it's deep, and it's always happening. Right now, tonight, while you sleep, they're not sleeping. I got a lot here that I'm just going to skip. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, when we hear heavenly places, we immediately think heavenly up there somewhere places, like, like the stars and the atmosphere and the clouds out there somewhere, the guardians of the galaxy stuff, way out there. No. Heavenly places 
literally means the spirit realm. The, the spirit realm. The realm that is in operation all the time, but our eyes are shut to it. Our ears are closed to it. We can't perceive it, but it's there. Wayne Grudem is the theologian. I, I appreciate him. He, he believes that it's there to the degree that if God would allow your eyes to see beyond the range they could see, you would see it. You know, it's kind of like a dog whistle. You know, you're like, and we don't hear it. Well, I don't hear anything. Yet puppy comes running or running away because it's screechingly loud to them. I mean, we don't have the eye capacity to see it. We don't have the ear capacity to hear it. But yet it's right there all the time. And it's immaterial. It's not matter. And therefore you can't pick it up with an electron microscope. Yet, somehow, mysteriously, that spirit realm can interact with the physical realm and even take physical form at times because we know angels do it. Angels can grab Lot and his daughters and pull them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But wait a minute, they're, they're spirits. How is that possible? Well, some of the mysteries are yet to be revealed. Now, what this is is conflict. Okay, that this means you are involved in constant conflict. And you're foolish, I'm foolish, if we only think it's against our boss, our spouse, our kids, our neighbor. Who do you have conflict with that's flesh and blood? And, and, and I'll tell you who I have conflict with that's flesh and blood. The most. Me. This flesh and blood is my worst enemy. How about you? I mean, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm fighting. I mean, not like kicking and punching. But, but I'm fighting thoughts and temptations and dark things. And sometimes I do have terrible dreams that I'm like, I think I need to turn the light on because that was terrible. That was terrible. And I don't watch any horror movies. I don't play with any haunted houses. I don't do none of that stuff. Like, so, so they're not creeping into my dreams from the movie I just watched. I just, I don't even look at the previews, right? They come on TV and I'm like, no, 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 because that, because, because here's why I'll be walking down the steps to do the laundry and I'll think something's going to come out from under the steps and pull me, suck me in and where'd Pastor Chris go? I don't know. He went to do laundry. I just, I'm not messing with it. Okay. And, and in part because and this, this might get me in trouble, but it's okay. My, my mother grew up in a house that was haunted, what we know is haunted. And she's got stories, man. And my mom is a godly woman who teaches the Bible. She serves in her local church, and she got crazy stories. And we know it's the house because my cousin, uh, my, my, my mom's brother stayed in the house when they left, and crazy things kept happening in his world. And my cousin experienced something that was so freakish. He had my dad, who's a lead elder at the church I came from before planning this one. They came over and prayed in every room and did like a, you know, like an anointing of the house. This stuff's real, friends. It does manifest sometimes. Okay? And, and, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to awaken you to what Paul is trying to awaken you to. And the conflict... The conflict is what you need to pay attention to. Now, now, for some of us, 
we, we do have eyes to see this. Saturday, in particular, all day, I could tell. Like, I couldn't give you a specific instant, but there was so much tension, so much fighting, so much conflict, so much bad attitudes, so much potential disaster that I had to... It's like a fire popped up here, fire popped up here, fire... And I was putting out fires constantly. I'm like, this is satanic. This is not normal. Trying to get sleep the night before preaching a message on spiritual warfare. I drank a lot of coffee today, okay? And I'm awake to it. That doesn't mean I understand every time it's happening. It's just I know at times when it's happening. Are you, are you with me? Do you know at times? Can you perceive like, okay, this is not normal. This is super normal. There's something going on right now that is invisible, that is opposing me, that is opposing my family, that is seeking some kind of destruction in my life. The schemes, the methods of the devil. Now, let's look at, in our last five minutes and 48 seconds, three long passages of Scripture. We're going to do it real quick. Here we go. First John 3, 4 to 10. Satan works through sin. All right, I'm just going to fly. Satan works through sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Now listen, notice the practice. Practice. When you go out and hoop all the time, you practice your dribbling or you practice your ice skating because you're a hockey player. You are practicing. When you practice sin, that means you are improving at it. You're getting more malicious. You're getting better at lying. You're getting slicker at stealing and so on. You're getting better at manipulating. You're a master manipulator. Why? Because you've practiced. That's the context. This doesn't mean you lied and you're like, oh, what did I do? Why did I say that? This doesn't mean you outburst of anger. Oh, what did I do? No, you practice and you're getting better at it and your skills are increasing. Okay? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. God has set up a moral universe with moral laws. Whether you want to acknowledge them or not, you go against them or you go with them. If you go against them and you do not repent, you will be met by the judge at the end of your life, and he will make you give an account. Because there is a law, and we are all under it. And you know it, whether you believe in the Ten Commandments or not. How do you know that I know, Chris? Well, because when someone lies to you, you get upset. When someone steals from you, you get injustice. When you see uh, the statistics on, you know, children being abducted and forced into the slave trade, sex trade, you're like, this is wrong. That's how I know. Because you understand there are right and wrong things, especially when it's done against you. When someone disrespects you, you get so upset. Why? Because you know right from wrong. That's how I, that's why. Do, that's why Jesus can say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If something would make you mad, why would you do that to someone else? If you'd be mad when someone says something to you, why would you say that to someone else? Okay. Verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. This is in the context of Jesus coming to earth. And in him, Jesus, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now now remember, practice. 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 Not you never sin, but you don't continue in the practice of sinning. 
Like if you practice law or you practice medicine or you, you get it, okay. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. If you continue in the practice of sin and you keep getting better at it because you're practicing at it, you don't know God no matter how much you say you know God. You are self-deceived. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children. So John's writing to Christians here. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Now there it is. We want to be righteous. So we seek to get better at doing right. And when we do wrong, we apologize. We ask for forgiveness. We repent. We get back up. We dust ourselves off and we move on. Right? We practice righteousness. I'm going to get better at this. Let everyone see your progress. You're more patient this year than last year, practicing righteousness. See what I'm saying? As he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning, look at this, is of who? The devil. Why? For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You know John was a rapper. The reason the Son of God appeared... Jesus, the Son of God, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I love it. And in this context, to destroy sin and to elevate righteousness. So in other words, if you're practicing sinning, just know that Jesus appeared to destroy your practice. And it's the work of Satan. I love it. No one born of God, that's the John 3, 3 reference, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, you must be made spiritually alive, Ephesians 2. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. God's seed is the spirit of God. Because the spirit of God is the spirit of truth, the spirit of righteousness. And when his fruit comes out of you, it's righteous. It's not sin. Walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. Rather, you will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. By this, listen friends, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. What's the evidence? It's evident by this. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother, fellow Christians. So what's the, what's, how do we know? What's the evidence? Are you seeking to practice righteousness? When you're not patient, do you feel it? This is wrong. I should have been patient. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said what I said to you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I want to do better. Holy Spirit, please help me to do better. Wow, you're, pra- you're practicing righteousness. No one of Satan would do that. They would stand their ground on why they said it, and you want me to say it again in a harsher way? Huh? See, that, that is not of God, friends. The contentious, warring attitude. No. Impatient, I'll have it my way or no way. It's not of God. It's pride. It's the sin of the devil. All right, let's move on to another text, shorter. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, this is our flesh and and blood here, which our struggle is not against. We do not wage war according to the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. The, The war that we're in is a spiritual war, and we don't use 
guns and knives and ninja stars and nunchucks if you're good with them. We don't use weapons of the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Be strong in who? In the Lord, in the power of His might. To do what? To destroy satanic strongholds. Now, now a stronghold in, in this context is something that's attached to you that you just can't get it off. Anyone ever have a tick on them? And, and you try to pull that thing off and it's like it's, your skin kind of comes with it? Or have you ever been to the ocean and you, and you see the, you know, those dock poles that go in and there's these barnacles just lodged on and you can't like get it even off with a shell, you're like chipping at it? This is, this is the stronghold. It's lodged onto you. It's attached to you. And as much as you want to get it off, you just can't seem to get it off. Well, see, we have weapons that are spiritual that destroy strongholds in your life. Spiritual power to kill sin. Romans 8, 13, by the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. So one is, verse 5, you destroy arguments that are not biblical. Why? Because you have biblical truth. Now, we, now listen, friends, we do not destroy wrong thinking with arrogance and pride. If you come at someone in arrogance and pride because you have the truth and they don't, you're acting satanically, even though you have the truth. You understand that. Not only must you use the truth of God, but you must use the attitude and the fruit of God. And Peter tells us how to do this. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, but do this with what? Louder. Gentleness and respect, not aggressiveness and disrespect. Gentleness and respect. And then personally, this is the one we really need to get good at, friends. We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. You're going to be obedient to Christ. Do you know what kind of thoughts those are? Well, one, they're wrong thoughts about God and his word. If God loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen. If God was for me, my life wouldn't look like this. You know, and there's all these, I mean, I, I'm tempted all the time to believe that my efforts for God and his kingdom have no effect. They're just invaluable. Why waste your time? Go do something else. I mean, that's a lie. How do I know that? Because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. And when I release the gospel, it's the power of God. So I need to take that lie and demolish it. What about discouragement? Did you know that discouragement is a weapon of the devil? And you need to take the discouraging thought, either pull it up by the root or set truth bombs to it and explode it or pull it out. Friends, more on this to come, okay? More on this to come. We, are, we, are, we got another text and you guys are going to hurt me if I don't hurry up. Take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. We know that Satan comes along to take the gospel word. This is his main objective with unbelievers. Okay, this is Jesus telling a parable about a farmer going out to sow seeds, to plant cord and to plant squash and strawberries and whatever. 
And the gospel is the word that is being sown. Look, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. Jesus, a couple verses later, explains what he's talking about. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is the gospel. It's the word, if we believe, we're saved. The ones along the path, these are people are those who have heard the gospel, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Friends, this is what the devil and his demons are up to. The gospel might go out, and Satan is actively trying to take that word away. Actively. Uh, Yesterday we were at Eddie's house. Myself and a few other brothers, and, and uh, Eddie lives next to a mosque, interestingly. And it's a uh, Farrakhan mosque. And, um, and one of the brothers, you know, when we were leaving, we all left together. And one of the brothers that was with us is like a ferocious evangelist. So, you know, he's like, let's go. And they're all out in the street selling their papers. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so, so I kind of stood there and watched and, and, you know, the gospel started being shared, and, and here comes one, and here comes another, and then there was opposition. What are you trying to do? You know, we're, they're blowing up mosques out here. What is the meaning of this? You know, and there was opposition to the gospel being preached almost instantaneously. But we believe that if God wants that gospel seed to grow, he will water it, and he will make it grow, and he will save. Our job is just to throw out the seed, friends. Paul says to the Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. But this is real. Satan comes to snatch the gospel word away from people. This is what his work is. This is one of his methods, one of his schemes. This is what he's up to. Here it is, last verse. And even if our gospel is veiled, remember this is the gospel that Satan wants to take away. It is veiled to those who are perishing. That means eternally perishing. In their case, those who are perishing, the God of this world, that's a, that's a name for Satan. Why? Because he literally is ruling this present darkness under the rule of God. God has given him a certain amount of authority. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. To what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Now listen, friends, the gospel has spiritual power and bright spiritual light to it. So if the metaphors in the Bible were believed, we live in a very dark world, right? This present darkness. Think of it as light versus dark. The power goes out. You don't have candles in your house. You're bumping into stuff. Darkness. The gospel is brought out and it... Light. But unbelievers are blind to the light. It doesn't look bright to them. It's not shining. There's nothing there. Why? Satanic activity. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? Seeing the light of the gospel. And the gospel is the glory of Christ. It's it's what he was born to do. It's what he was born to do. Who is, who is Jesus? Who is the image of God? Literally, the exact representation of God, his icon, his image, Jesus. For what we proclaim, 
Paul's saying here to the Corinthians, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, the ruler, the authority, the one with all dominion and power. With ourselves as your servants, we, Corinthians, are your servants. For Jesus' sake, we do what we do for you for the sake of Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, reference the creation, has shown in our hearts, new spiritual creation, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Christ. You see, the work of God is to break through the satanic darkness in your life and mine. This is Ephesians chapter 2. We all lived among them at one time. But, but, you and me, washed, cleansed, forgiven, no condemnation, spiritually dead to spiritual life. You're alive. If anyone's in Christ, he, she, new creation, old things are gone, new things have come. You're alive. And that life within you is the Spirit of God himself, the third person of the Trinity. And he enables you to practice righteousness. You are no longer in the kingdom of darkness, friends. You realize that you have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we are in the battle now only for a short time. And and the battle will rage only till the moment when your heart stops. And though you might think that's a terrible thing to happen, friend, it will be the most glorious thing that could happen to you. Because faith will become sight and all the spiritual realities that are invisible will just, oh my gosh. You'll look around and you'll finally be able to see for the first time. Instantaneously. But for now, while you're breathing, while I'm breathing, conflict and fight. And we need to remember. So if we forget everything else, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Your struggle, your conflict, your wrestle is not against the flesh and blood only. Don't stop there. But rather against the spiritual forces of evil in the spirit realm, the heavenly places. And next week and in the weeks to follow, we're going to learn about the armor of God. We're going to learn about the methods or the schemes of the devil specifically and how we can fight against him biblically. Okay? All right. But for now, friends, here's the deal. Those of you who have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into light, those of you who have had the blinders taken off and now you see the light of the gospel, you're like, that is beautiful. That is bright. I want to be forgiven. I want to be in God's kingdom. I want to be taken out of the evil and into the light. Oh God, would you forgive me? That is done by God himself. And many of you have experienced the power of God unto salvation. And for some of you, this is new. This is all new. And my encouragement to you, to whom this is all new, you need to make a choice to go after God and the light and turn away from the darkness. Turn away from sin. Turn away from your practice of sinning and say, Jesus, would you forgive me for my sin? His death on the cross will cover all of your sins. All your past sins, all your current sins, all your future sins. So that the declaration over you is no condemnation. Why? Because you're in Christ, and in Christ there is no condemnation. 
He won for us. He conquered death for us. And we're going to celebrate that reality right now. Jesus in our place as a substitute. 